This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We're talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri, Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. It's great to have you join us. It's always great to have you join us. And it's so awesome to get the messages, get the, the comments on the, the posts on the Eskimo social media platforms. We always love hearing from our listeners. And, you know, we are, we're a couple of episodes into the season. And, Anthony, we are, I mean, we're in the thick of it now. I, I kind of like to say that, Hunting season is, it, it, for you and I, it's kind of wrapping up. Some people will continue on into the, the early winter. Ice show season is here, and with ice show season, there's some early ice. The last few weeks, I've seen you with uh, some pretty awesome pictures of some uh, photos taken up at your deer camp. Looks like you had a good fall. Yeah, we had a good fall, and I'd have to echo that, that I saw some pretty good pictures coming from your way, too, at uh, – when we get a little further north, though, I had a little bit more of the winter weather up there. We had six, eight inches of snow. Most of that's all gone now, but like you said, I think we're on the cusp. The weather looks like it's about to turn cold, and I think things are going to start locking up. But, yeah, I had a really great uh, hunting season. Uh, like you said, that's in the rear view now, and I think uh, I think it's full steam ahead into the ice season. Uh, it certainly is. And, you know, you talk about that snow and cold spurt we got in October, late October. If for an ice angler, what a tease, wasn't it? What a tease. It. I mean, I thought we were, well, let's just be honest. There were a lot of the, the sloughs and, and potholes were freezing up. I, I'm thinking we're, we're walking out here shortly. It's not going to be long. Well, now here we are, and um, things have changed, right? And so we, we had that warm-up come back, and, and early November was pretty warm. But right now, I mean, I think we're back to seasonal temps right now, and I and I think this is going to stay for real. Yeah, we're just going to need a you know a few days with some light winds, and I think a lot of those lakes are going to start capping over uh, the water temps. I know from a few guys that were out in the boats. For those of us that you know winterized our boats, we had to live vicariously through them while they're out in the nice weather. But they're saying water temps 33, 34, 35 degrees. So I mean, it's ready to freeze. It's only going to be a matter of time. It's going to happen, and it'll happen quick, I assume, like you say, if we get a, a couple of nights without a, a real strong wind. And this podcast, we're recording it a couple of days earlier, but it's actually going to drop and be available for our listeners on Black Friday. And that coincides really good with our guests and with our topic and kind of what we wanted to, to just uh, jump into tonight or today. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the topic we got in front of us. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, you know, as we talk about ice season, we don't have ice yet, but it means 100%, you know, getting in the mindset of prepping and gear prep and buying some new gear, maybe selling some old gear. And so we thought a really timing subject would be, you know, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the, the gear. And I know we all see all the new posts that are coming out with all the new gear, but you know, maybe talking about how to sell some old gear, you know, maybe you're not interested in buying new gear. Maybe you're looking for something used and you're on a budget, um, you know, talking about some of the, the nuances of getting into, you know, some gear from, you know, maybe marketplace or Craigslist or eBay, wherever you're finding it. And so we thought it'd be really fun to, to get a guest that might have some insight on the, the do's and don'ts on uh, social media marketplace and, and how to get some gear. So We'd like to welcome to the podcast uh, a first-time guest, I believe, Andy Peterson. Uh, Andy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Andy, before we get in and dive in too deep, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit, tell our listeners uh, you know, a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into the conversation after that. All right. Uh, Andy Peterson. I'm from central Minnesota. I got the typical our, uh, Minnesota accent. <laughs> But yeah, I, I own a Facebook group called uh, Ice Fishing Minnesota, as well as Fishing Minnesota and Hunting Minnesota, Ice Fishing Minnesota, excuse me. Um, I think it's like nine years old now. And how many members? Uh, we're at 98,000 right now. Not bad for a social media group, right? When you're knocking on 100,000 members. Uh, 
I got to venture that when we talk about people who listen to, to Shack Talk, and I know we have listeners outside of Minnesota, but majority of ice anglers in Minnesota are, are members and, and pretty well aware of, of your group. You're kind of the go-to place for that ice fishing conversation. Yeah, we were, we were lucky um, to get in kind of when the groups just started taking off. And uh, I, I didn't even plan for the group to be what it is today. It was more a, a plan of um, I was going to invite my buddies into this little group where we could talk about, you know, hot bites and lakes we checked out and, and fish, uh, you know, fishing reports, ice reports, and uh, just created it. And all of a sudden it went bonkers. And I, I think we got 12,000 members in the first 24 hours. And it just kept going crazy, and I, I kind of started to panic because I didn't know what I was, what I was going to do with it. You know, like I said, I I didn't have them expectations, or you know, or anything for it. And um, yeah, so over the next couple of days of just watching the numbers go crazy is is kind of when I put in a game plan of okay, we should probably do something as as cool as we can with this. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, definitely one of those go-to spots, at least for me, and I know a lot of other anglers, to, you know, ask questions, you know, post some gear. I know you guys sell gear out there, and, you know, there's a lot of other forums or groups on uh, uh, Facebook where you can sell gear, and so I know there's probably a lot that goes into moderating a lot of those pages, you know, making sure that things are legit and, you know, going through some of that. So I, I really am excited for our conversation and, you know, maybe talking about some of those do's and don'ts and, and going into buying and selling gear uh, online. Yeah. It's uh, another thing I was going to mention about the pages too. It's, it's kind of cool because um, I mean, it is ice fishing Minnesota, but it's, we have, I mean, people from everywhere. We even got people from, from down south that'll come in there and they think we're all nuts because we're walking on ice and walking on water and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, people just come in there to learn, you know, stuff that they're, you know, not real familiar with and, and stuff. So it's, it's very cool. But yeah, we do have a, you know, people are welcome to, to buy and sell and trade and, you know, conduct business and stuff on there if they would like it as well. You know, going back to people thinking we're a little bit crazy, we might be. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. that's possible. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to argue against it, but we love what we do. We're passionate about what we do. We, we uh, look forward all year. And, you know, we've said it, Anthony and I have said it before, the, the Minnesota fishing opener is a date on the calendar. The Minnesota deer firearms opener is a date on the calendar. The pheasant opener is a date on the calendar. Ice fishing doesn't have a date on the calendar. And so there's all of this ramp up to it. There's all this excitement, and you can kind of feel that excitement even going back into the late summer and then into fall when new products are first revealed. And it's re they're revealed very oftentimes on social media, right? That's, that's where, where these things are found, and people see it. And then we keep moving forward, and the excitement continues to build, and then we feel that colder weather, and, and all of a sudden ice show season is here, and first ice, and you know, I, I said this episode will, will drop on Black Friday and one of the biggest shopping days of the year. If you look at the consumer who's buying ice fishing gear, they usually fit into, you know, one of a, just a couple categories. I mean, they might be brand new to the sport, either because they're young or they were just introduced to it. Well, if you think, let alone all the, the lures and whatnot, you've got your big three, right? You've got your shelter, your auger, and your electronics. Not everybody can afford to jump into a hobby for a newcomer and afford all three pieces brand new. So I know there's a lot of people out there who are picking and choosing and they're saying, I'm going to buy one piece of brand new gear this year, but the other two pieces, whatever combination it might be, where I got to look used. I got to look on marketplace. Or, or maybe the other one is the, the guy or gal who's been in the sport for a long time and just over time they're continuing to upgrade to the latest and the best gear. And maybe that means every year they upgrade one of those three components. Typically, when you're upgrading, you're selling the old one to fund part of the purchase of the new one. That's kind of what I wanted to look at is it's Black Friday today. There's a lot of people out shopping, so there's a lot of people going to relate to what this topic is about. 
Andy, you said you have a lot of folks that, that buy and sell right on your Facebook group, which mm -hmm. is that is that connected to Marketplace or is that a separate entity? When we talk about Facebook Marketplace, that's that's different than a group, right? Right. A, a lot of people will list their products, you know, on the Marketplace, but then they'll take the link and post it on the page, which is fine. And But then there's also some people too, and I've, I've done it myself, where I'll just, you know, write out right on the page and put for sale and you know, the price and whatever it is with pictures. And yeah, so there's kind of a couple different ways they can do it there. Yeah. And I know within Facebook, uh, selling stuff myself, they, they make it really easy when you're listing something in marketplace, you can select the, the groups or pages that you want to post it in as well. And they're all connected. And so if you sell something, you don't have to go find these posts on all these other pages and, and market as sold or delete the post. So it's pretty convenient. And I know it's, it just creates a bigger reach for, for getting your word out there on what you're selling. And I think it's, uh, it's evolved quite a bit. And I know one of the, the frustrations with anything is, you know, maybe selling things online gets a little frustrating at times, but I think it'd be a good conversation for us to have on some of the, maybe the do's and don'ts when you're posting stuff and what, what kind of advice would you give to our listeners? My, my biggest thing is, is there's a lot of scammers out there. So the, the first thing I look for, is if, if the price is too good to be true, it probably is. And a, a good way to kind of do your homework on that is just simply click on the per, the seller's profile and and you can see, um, you know, do they have a lot of friends? Do they have a lot of pictures? Um, pictures that are relatable. I mean, if, if you're looking to buy, you know, a, a fish house and the person has pictures of nothing but laying out on the beach, odds are it's, you know, it might not be a person from Minnesota that they claim they are. Yeah, that's, that's probably my most, uh, yeah, I hate hearing people getting scammed and there's a lot of it now where, uh, they'll say you have to verify with a four digit code. And then if they want your address and their phone number, you know, you don't really need that until when they're on their way to come and get it. Or if you're on the way to go get it, then they can text you and, you know, give you their address and stuff like that, but just don't jump out there and give, be willing to give away a bunch of information, definitely no money in advance. Typically in those instances, Andy, we're talking about a cash transaction, right? Is that cash or maybe, yeah. I suppose it could be Venmo or PayPal as well, right? But something that's verifiable. Yeah, yeah even, you know, I even get leery with um, with PayPal myself and, and even like doing Venmo and stuff like that because, and that's just my own personal preference. But I mean, if a person's, if, if I'm going to, if I tell a person like, Hey, I want this, but I can't pick it up until Saturday and everything seems legit. And they ask for a little bit money down through Venmo or PayPal. Okay. You know, just use your best judgment. But if, if they're saying, you know, if you, if you tell them, well, I can pick this up today and they're just like, well, I want you to pay for it right now. No. Usually <laughs> it's, it's usually best to have that transaction take place either in person. And I know that a lot of times on marketplace, it gives you the option of saying it has to be a face-to-face a, a -face transaction, mm -hmm. or you could say, I will ship it as well. So you really, as a seller, you're kind of in control of the amount of exposure you want to give yourself, right? Right. Yeah. And I know even like during, you know, COVID and stuff, there was, um, I know people would leave it like at the end of their sidewalk and, you know, somebody would drive by and it, and it was a big honesty thing a lot of times, but that's probably more when Venmo and PayPal and, and stuff like that was more of like where you had to use it. But yeah. I mean, you have the options of doing it, um, you know, face to face or a doorstep drop off. I think there's one or shipping it and uh, they make it pretty simple. Yeah. I like your idea of, you know, trying to do a little bit of research investigation to the seller, you know, make sure they're a legit person. Yeah, I'm trying to look for someone that's, you know, fairly close to where I'm located so that I'm not having to drive or meet or make arrangements. Uh, when I'm selling stuff, I like to look for people that are, you know, local as well so that it's convenient for me and convenient for them and makes it a little bit easier. What do you, um, what else do you look for when you're, say you're going out there to buy something? What are you looking for when you're comparing, you know, say we're looking for a new auger. What are you looking for when you're going out there to, to buy an auger? Well, I, I usually know kind of what, what I want, you know, like what brand I, I do my research on everything. 
So, uh, like to a, to a fault almost, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I know the specific model I want. I go and do my research on, you know, what the price of it is new. Um, some of marketplace prices are a little up there. Um, I think, and the same with like Craigslist, it's kind of known for that, but, uh, yeah, just know what I want to spend, how far I want to travel, you know, what I'm looking for, looking at, uh, you know, the buyers or the sellers, excuse me, their ratings, you know, they have a rating on the marketplace, just like eBay. So yeah, you can just do that. And if you want to go a little bit further, you can creep their profile a little bit and see what kind of person they seem like. It's kind and, of one uh, of the benefits yeah, of doing it just, on social media, right? Is you have right. that option, but you know, and it's, it's sort of a judgment. I, as I was thinking about what we'd talk about here, I was thinking about the, the extremes, right? And so you might have someone who went out and bought that auger with great intentions. They were intending to, to use it, you know, to its fullest extent, but hey, life happens. They got distracted and it's been hanging on a, a peg in their garage for the last three years. And they've, they've taken it out two or three times, right? And so you've got this essentially brand new auger. Now you got the other extreme, the guy who's fishing every other day and he's throwing it in the back of his truck and driving on the ice and it's bouncing around and it's been used. And I would submit it's been used for what it's for, right? And, but, and that's a good thing. But yet you have different products there. Do you typically advise folks to say, I want to go try it or I want to see it or I want to hear it run? What kind of those tips do you, do you think we should give folks? Uh, so, something I kind of learned in another hobby of mine of baseball card collecting, which has regained uh, popularity right now, is there's they call it coining. And it's like, so if I was selling um, like a rod or a reel or something like that, or, or if I was buying a rod or reel, and, you know, you just, you kind of got some worries about it. You can ask them to put their, like, name and the date on a little card and then put it next to the product and have them take a picture of it. And and that's something that's very common in, you know, selling baseball cards and jerseys and the sports memorabilia type stuff, too, so... I mean, it's definitely something a person could bring over to like the Facebook marketplace and, and stuff like that. But if it was an auger, you know, if a person was buying a gas one, yeah, I mean, Facebook gives you the option to shoot a, a short video. So I would definitely tell them like, hey, could you, you know, fire it up and and uh, let me hear it, especially if it's a, a further distance, you know, if you're driving. Well, even, you know, electric or anything to a little test run. And I don't think that's too much to ask. And, and a seller should be more than willing to do that if they're really interested in selling the item. Is there any repercussions someone has if you feel like you didn't get a fair deal or do you kind of have to know when you go into it? You, if you hand over the money, it's kind of, it is what it is. You bought it, buyer beware. Yeah, everything is, you know, it's a, it's as is, but that's where I, I think the buyer is responsible for, you know, asking as many questions as they, as they can about a product and, and, you know, getting as many pictures as you can. And I mean, I mean, if you show up to, to the meeting place and it's not what they described, like it sucks, but you can tell them, no, you know, like, I'm sorry you, and then that's where you can go back and say, like, you know, this, you said this and this and this, and yeah, you know, it, it, it happens unfortunately, but. Yeah. And I want to go back to your comment too. You're talking about, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of it as well. Everybody's got their used gear that they're selling and they want to get, you know, what they think is what it's worth or their top dollar so that they can invest that into some new gear. And what do you see uh, as far as buying and selling? You know, I know myself, I probably might mark something up a little bit because I know there's probably going to be a little bartering going back and forth. Is that something that you see a lot of, or, you know, are people trying to post things for what they expect to get and they're pretty firm on that or what kind of, what kind of uh, advice would you give? I think everybody knows that um, all the items are going to be bartered at some point. So even when I'm selling stuff, I know what my bottom dollar is and that's not what I started out as, you know, and, and I, I'm pretty sure everybody else does it too. You put it, you know, a few bucks ahead and, and, you know, work your way to that dollar that you want to get for it or sell it for. What's, and then when you, I was going to say, when you post something and it, you know, get 10 messages right away, you know, you listed it probably too low. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> 
or it gets yeah. ghosted, you're thinking it's just the opposite, right? You posted it way too high. Yeah, and then it gets zero response. Yep. Yeah. Or What's... you'll end up getting trolled and people put laughy faces and you know, call you some special names. <laughs> yeah, I know we talked a little bit about it too, about like, you know, when you're selling something, take a look at what the new price is, right? If you've got something that's used, but maybe it's very lightly used, you're probably looking at 70% of the dollar to what you're going to be able to sell it for. If it's fairly well used, I'm thinking probably 50%. And then if it's really used and maybe not in the greatest condition, probably less than that. I, I, I think that's good advice for someone if they're posting something up is to kind of what to expect to get for something when you're selling it. Yeah, I, I think people people know, you know, and I... I don't know if some people are just looking for that person that doesn't know and are willing to pay that higher price or uh, if they're just being goofy. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, yeah, and I think it really differs too. If there's a lot of the same product online, like right. if you're listing an auger, go look and see what they're going for. They're all probably going to be within a range of 20 to $50. And if you're the highest one on the marketplace, well, of course people aren't going to gravitate to that post unless you got, a bunch of add-ins that you're throwing in, but if you're right in the middle or maybe the lower one, if you want to make a quick sale, then you're probably going to get a little more traction. Oh, a person can, can really get into the hobby. Probably uh, the most affordable, like right now than any other time that I've, I've seen. I mean, you can get a, a really nice gas auger for anywhere from 40 to a hundred bucks, you know? And when I, got an ice fishing um you know i'm not going to age myself but way back there you couldn't buy an auger for a hundred bucks and they were you all know, gas, you couldn't right find, yeah, <laughs> yeah you and you couldn't you couldn't buy a depth finder for a hundred bucks and um you know that's it's that stuff is out there and it's it's very easy to find and, and with social media and you know the internet and stuff it's made it really easy to get your hands on well, let me ask this for, to both of you guys. So back in the early days of, of online buying and selling, you had the, the Ebays, right? The Craigslists, and, and now it's kind of morphed and, and people have gravitated towards marketplace. In the early days, you had individuals who would really make it kind of a part-time job or hobby, just going out to garage sales or picking up super good deals online somewhere and then turning around and selling it. Do you guys see that much anymore or is it more like what we've been talking about tonight? Like the, the guy who's the angler and he wants to upgrade or he wants to get into the sport. I, I, I see a ton of it. Um, there's a guy I follow him on TikTok. I think is, I think is Gary V. I think his name is. And, uh, he's kind of a motivational type speaker, but he's, he started out with, um, you know, going to garage sales and, and, you know, being kind of a picker or whatever and, and reflipping stuff for profits. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he still does it and says to this day, if, if a person's doing it and you're not making a hundred thousand a year, you're doing it wrong. So it's pretty crazy, but I, I'm pretty sure that the field might be getting a little flooded with, with that, you know, more people doing it. So I don't know, I guess I really haven't looked into it too much, but I, I know it's a popular thing. I don't know who that guy is, but I need to look him up because if he's making that kind of money, I might need to do a career change. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think in the fishing industry, at least, you know, it's probably not as much of those, you know, rare nuggets of finding something that's really valuable that somebody doesn't know has value. I mean, unless you're talking antique lures or, you know, depth finders or something that's really old, I think it's hard to to find those you know, one-offs like a rare baseball card or a rare book or something like that. Uh, but I do know that there's a lot of people that, you know, maybe their dad or their uncle or their grandpa is just going to get rid of something. They'll be like, well, I'll take it or I'll throw it up on the marketplace. And so you might be able to find some good deals like that where a guy's just looking to make a few bucks. And like Andy said, uh, getting into a gas auger right now is probably about as easy as it's ever been. I mean, the market is flooded with electric and there's a lot of drill adapter augers now that are pretty low price point to get into for a brand new. And so if somebody's looking to get started, I mean, a gas auger for 50 bucks would be pretty easy. And I would say you'd probably be able to find a fairly, you know, fairly newer model even, and, you know, not something that's 20, 25 years old, you might be able to get into something that's fairly new. So if you're on a tight budget for an auger, 
I think uh, gas auger would be a really great option. That doesn't sound good to me. I've, I've got a stingray in the garage that I need to unload because I'm waiting to, to get the order of that Eskimo E40. From a selling perspective with a flooded market like it is with with gas augers, how does a person approach that? Do we, do we need to, to really think about only expecting a smaller percentage of what the original price was or what are some of our strategies? I don't know if there's a strategy, but um, I just seen the prices that they were going for, um, you know, and I don't know, it just kind of isn't worth the hassle. Like I'd rather just either keep it as a backup or um, which I've kept one of mine as a backup. And then a couple of my other ones, I just donated to new kids that were into the hobby or new, Young anglers, right? Young anglers, young, young anglers. anglers. All that's new, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, new people Jeez. in the sport. Yes. Yeah, and that's yeah. actually what I did with my last. Uh, I had a propane auger that I gave to a, a cousin at a really good family discounted price, and he got into the sport with that. So I, I think that's good advice for, for anybody that's got some gear laying around that's maybe gathering a little dust and you don't want to go through the hassle of selling it online. Find a Find someone that's new to the sport or a buddy that maybe keeps borrowing your stuff and just be like, here, have this, and... Next time you just pick up the gas when we go out fishing or something. We see that a lot on the pages too, which is really awesome. Um, I mean, everything from old or like fish houses to augers to rods to tackle. Um, you know, if, if people ain't using it and, you know, it might be sitting in their garage, they just want to get it out of there and, and give it to somebody who appreciates it and it's going to go put it to use. And yeah, it's very, very cool to see people doing that stuff these days. We've talked a lot about augers because I think we've seen in the last couple of years just that massive shift away from gas and, and into the electric auger world. What about shelters? What about electronics? The other two major components for an ice angler. What are we seeing for trends there in terms of used and availability and, and that type of thing? Definitely, you know, the thermal. Everybody's switching to thermal these days, whether it's a thermal hub or a thermal flip over. Which, which, you know, has filled the market with non-thermal uh, houses and hubs and, and stuff, which work perfectly fine. You know, you just don't have, like, the the real plush luxury of, uh, of, of the thermal. And, uh, you know, all three of us, we got by with non-thermals for how many years, and we loved them and, and used the heck out of them, and... And uh, just because, you know, somebody upgraded the thermal doesn't mean that that should just be tossed aside. Somebody else can use it for a few years and or as long as they want until they want to upgrade. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, looking at shelters that are, you know, maybe lightly used or, you know, even fairly well used. I know, Andy, we talked about it too. You know, if there's something that is a little beat up, I mean, it's going to get by with, you know, doing most of the fishing that, you and I would do, you might not be going out there when it's 20 below and setting up and camping for the day, but most days you're going to get by with something that blocks the wind, you know, keeps the snow from blowing in your holes. It doesn't have to be the best of the best. Uh, if you're, you know, someone that doesn't have the capability to haul a sled house, I mean, a pop-up shelter is perfectly fine. And if you're someone that has access to a four-wheeler snowmobile, something that can pull a house out, then, you know, maybe a sled house is, is the way to go. What about, you know, the scenario where we've got somebody putting their, their shelter away last last spring. They pull it on out, and all of a sudden they realize, well, the, the mice got in it, chewed a little tiny hole in the corner. From a seller perspective or from a buyer perspective, is that a major issue? Can that be repaired? What? How does that affect buying and selling? It all, the person, or it all depends on the buyer's budget, you know, and their expectations. Um, you got to have real realistic uh, expectations out there when you're buying something. I mean, you can't expect to, to be like, well, I'm going to, you know, go buy a full thermal house for $200 or, you know, and it has to be mint. But no, I mean, if, if, you know, there's mice holes or cracks in the windows and stuff like that, the price should definitely reflect that. And there, and there's fixes for that stuff too. So if a person's willing to put a little elbow grease into, into something and, you know, maybe get out the needle and thread and, and, uh, you know, patch up some, some mice holes and, and, uh, you know, get some of the tape to fix the windows and you can get in real affordable. 
and and I know you can order at least with the with the Eskimos the the shacks that we're all familiar with. You can order patch kits, you yep. can order replacement windows, and so as a as a buyer for sure, that's an option if you know that going in that those those components are available, and then also from a seller too, maybe you'll get enough money if you buy that replacement part, that replacement window, or the 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 patch kit, right? that maybe it's going to be more attractive to a buyer. For sure. And especially for a buyer, if, if they're just planning on, you know, using it for a year or two or whatever, when they resell it, that's a, they, they probably won't lose anything on it. Yeah. I was just going to say when you're buying used, I think you're, you're not seeing the, the depreciation or drop off in price. If you're buying something used, you're probably going to be able to sell it in a year, two, three for probably what you put into it. It's not like you're buying new and then, two years later, you're selling it for 50 cents on the dollar. That's a so really good point. Yeah. Really good point for somebody that's looking to get into it. You're, you're probably going to get your, your money back if you're buying used instead of buying brand new. We talked about augers. We talked about shacks. What about electronics? Are there any things to be aware of when you're, you're buying and selling a flasher or a forward facing sonar unit? And, and I don't think there's many people selling those. Uh, there's more buying going on in that arena. But, you know, certainly flashers have been around as long as, as I can remember in the ice fishing world. What are the, the do's and don'ts, the, the things to be aware of when we're uh, buying and selling flashers? It all kind of depends on the, the flasher. If you're looking at an old school flasher, you know, from the, from the 90s and, and maybe even early 2000s that have brushes, you know, that's something where you might want, or that has a brushless or a brushed motor on it. That's something you might want to get a video of it running. And uh, usually the noisier it is, the, the more the brushes need to be cleaned. Also, the battery is another, you know, main component that can really make a bad, brat, a bad battery can really make or break, you know, your unit. So, and it, luckily they've gotten to be pretty affordable these days, especially if you're using the, is it lead acid? Right, the original, the original, the original kind of batteries, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. them ones I think you can get for 15, 20 bucks, and I think they're eight, seven or eight amps, and, you know, will run your flasher for a long time. But, yeah, I mean, if and then if there's, you know, the brushless-type flashers, your battery is really the only thing you really have to, to check on. Um, you know, there's not too much that can go wrong with a, a brushless flasher, you know, unless it's cosmetic or somebody dropped it or something like that. Yeah. And then going with more of like the 2d sonar. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, you want to ask, you know, like what's the latest updates on there? What's, you know, what battery you're running. Um, some people have them on types of shuttles and, and all that stuff. Again, it just comes down to the more, the more questions, the, the better. And don't, don't feel stupid about asking any questions, especially if a person's new to the hobby, we all started out out there too so yeah i was gonna say if you can find a, a unit that's a decent price and maybe they're including a new lithium battery versus a lead acid that may be a really good selling point and you know being able to get that upgrade not only for the you know it's a newer battery but you get longer runtime lighter weight uh, so it's a good advantage there and, and like you said taking a look at it is it cosmetically clean or is it beat up does it look like it's been bounced around in the back of a a pickup truck or a shelter being pulled across the lake. I know uh, being able to just look at it, inspect it, see how, what kind of condition is, does it have a case? Is it, you know, on, like you said, a shuttle or is it something that's been just kind of beat around a little bit taking a look at it cosmetically, you should be able to get an idea of what kind of condition it should be in. Just like buying a car, you know, just got to, you know, inspect all the way around it underneath it. You know, if it, if it looks like it's had a rough life, it probably has. And if you're willing to take that risk, the, the price should probably reflect it. You know, but if it, it's all shiny and no scratches and stuff like that, odds are it was probably used less and it's, you know, probably had a good life. You know, one of the things I hear you saying, Andy, and I, I just am kind of reflecting on this is, you know, a lot of us have that Minnesota nice. And maybe yeah. it's the Wisconsin nice or the North Dakota or South Dakota nice or Manitoba nice. Well, it doesn't matter wherever you're from. And sometimes asking those questions is a little bit uncomfortable, but you should feel confident in doing it, right? I mean, that's doing your homework. 
sometimes negotiating with the price is uncomfortable. You don't feel like you should offer somebody less than they're asking. And, you know, from what you've said, that's kind of commonplace. I think that's just the, the norm when we're looking at these online deals and selling and buying. So even though it's outside of our comfort zone, it's still, it's, that's the game that's there, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm, I'm one of the guys too, that I, I'm afraid to be that lowballer. So I usually don't, I use, I, I'm not a good negotiator, I guess I should say. Cause just cause I don't want to insult anybody. You know what I mean? But that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. But I mean, you kind of have to realize that the, the seller is expecting that to cut, to happen, you know? So, but I don't know, maybe it's the way I was phrased or I don't know, but sometimes it gets the, the better of me and, and, um, you know, I, I probably don't get as good of a deal as I probably could have. But well, and I would add to take a look at, you know, maybe how long something's been posted for. If it just got right. posted yesterday, I'm probably not going to throw a low ball offer. But if it's been out there for a couple weeks, maybe a couple of months and, you know, they haven't sold it yet. Maybe just, you know, once you find out it's still available, say, hey, are you willing to negotiate on the price? This is what I'm kind of comfortable at. And you know, if they're not, you know, then maybe they're not motivated to sell, but maybe they've been sitting on it for quite a while and they're like, yeah, I'll, let's just do that. Or maybe they'll come back with a price and say, meet in the middle. Um, that's one thing that I, you know, get frustrated with as a seller is if I post something up and then somebody's already throwing me low offers, it's like, I just posted this yesterday. I've got three other people interested. I'm, I'm not entertaining low offers yet. Exactly. And, and that brings up another good point is a really or another really good time to, to buy ice fishing gear, you know, whether it's a house, uh, auger, flasher, in the summer, you can get pretty much the lowest price that they're going to sell it for just, yeah. you know, just because they want to get rid of it. I mean, who, who sells ice fishing stuff in the summer? But there's a lot of people who do just because they want it, you know, either out of their garage or they plan to buy new once it gets closer to the season and, but yeah, that's another excellent time to to find some really good deals. You know, I think that's a great, great point because I think back to when I was in my twenties, and you know what, you you're you're young, you maybe you you're just getting started in your career, and and things are you just don't have that disposable income. I was there, and I remember that wholeheartedly. When did I buy? Because I, I still love to hunt and fish. So when did I go looking for my ice fishing gear? April and May. When did I go looking for my hunting gear? You know, January and February, right? And that's a really good point. Like if you're good enough to plan ahead and think about that and do your shopping in the off season, you can probably set yourself up for considerably less of an investment. Right. And, and especially when it's larger investments like fish houses and, or like wheelhouses and stuff like that, I think there's people that have made up their minds that they're going to sell their house, you know, probably in March, but they'll wait until October, November to list it because that's when they're going to get the best price. That's when everybody's all juiced and ready to go and amped up for ice fishing where we're at right now, <laughs> you know? So I, I think people are a little bit uh, quicker to open up the wallet and uh, maybe spend a little more than, than if they were to, um, you know, be three-fourths of the way through the season and, and kind of like, yeah, ready for the boat, you know. Yeah, so. and I think, you know, selling this time of year is great for the traction. You're going to get a lot of interest. But you also are competing with Black Friday deals. You're competing with ice show specials. And I know right around the corner from us is the St. Paul show, which is arguably one of the best times of year to buy something new and, and be able to, to get into something at the probably the lowest price of, for retail for the season. Another thing, Andy, I know we talked a little bit about was, you know, if you're getting into the sport and I'm sure we've mentioned this before in the podcast, but go to an ice show and figure out what you're looking for, test it out, try it out, check out the different models, sizes, talk to the manufacturers, get that insight from them. And that might, maybe steer you in a certain direction on what you're looking for and maybe going online and finding something that's, you know, a couple years older model and, and getting into something at a lower price point. And definitely to get your, get your hands on, you know, feel of, of, of everything and, you know, hold that tackle in your hand, hold that ice fishing rod in your hand and, 
you know, pick out what's, what feels best for you. You know, what, what you, you know, what catches your eye the most, you know, if you're looking for a house, you know, go, go sit in one, you know, test it out, feel the fabric, you know, pull the sled a little bit, see which one you like and, and make your decision that way versus, you know, suggestions or whatever. You just, you got to, you know, like I was telling you, we get it a lot, especially with like custom rods and stuff. We always get asked, you know, what's the best custom rod on the market? Well, custom rod is custom to you. So what I like, you might not like, you know, and so there, there is no best. Just go and get your hands on, your hands on and get it in hand and, and make the decision for yourself. And the, the St. Paul Ice Show is a perfect uh, place to be able to do that for pretty much every product that's in ice fishing. You make a good point, Andy, and that is um, if you look at the evolution of, of the ice fishing industry and the products that are available, any ice rod, any auger, any shelter, any electronic is head and shoulders above what was available, I mean, even five, six years ago, but certainly 10 years ago, things have just continued to get better and improve. And so there's just a lot of really, really good stuff out there. I think it's a matter of people identifying what's best for them. It's, it's really crazy how far, you know, the technology and, and everything has come, even just in the last five years. It's, I mean, I, I couldn't have imagined it. Yeah, and I know when we're at a nice show, you know, somebody's asking me questions. The first thing I ask them is, what style of fishing do you do? you know, that will help me maybe tailor them to a certain product line. And, you know, maybe you don't need the best of the best. Maybe you're just going out, you're going to go out two or three weekends a winter. You're probably only going to drill six, eight holes. Well, you probably don't need the top of the line electric auger. You can get by with a, you know, entry level gas auger, or we talked about earlier, used gas auger. Well, maybe you don't need the forward facing sonar. You can get by with a, you know, an older flasher style, you know, Markham or Vexlar or something like that, that you can get into at a lower price point. So I think knowing kind of what your expectations are can help drive your decision-making a little bit and, and kind of steer you in the right direction. Well, yeah. And people don't have to start out with the best of everything as, as much as, you know, we'd all like to, I, I don't think any of us has started out with the best stuff on the market, you know? So Everything, the sport is always evolving. Um, there's always going to be something, you know, later and and greater. And, um, yeah, so just don't put yourself in the poor house and, uh, you know, just have fun with it. You know what? I That is a great, great piece of advice. So on the radio show that I host, about three weeks ago, we interviewed Giannis Patelis, who is – most people will know he's, he's meat eater, right? He's one of the personalities on meat eater. And at that time, during that interview, we were talking about uh, hunting gear and hunting clothing and apparel and camouflage and all the science in that and, and how that sport has evolved too over the last few years. And he had some great, great advice. And it, it really tunes into what you just said, Andy. And his advice was, you know, before you go out and buy anything, make sure you have enough money to go hunting or in this case, to go fishing. Make sure you have enough money to be able to afford the time off to go out and experience and enjoy the sport that you love. Then you take what you have extra beyond that and you allocate it towards buying your gear or upgrading your gear. But don't ever lose the opportunity to enjoy and experience the fishing at the expense of thinking you need the latest and greatest gear. Otherwise, you're just going to be at home sitting sitting on your couch holding your live scope and no money no gas or no money for gas that's exactly right that is you, uh, you nailed it that is exactly right yeah i know we talked about the three big products being you know auger flasher shelter anything andy you would give for advice for buying tackle or rods and reels or is that something where you know there's such a kind of a low entry point for a price point being you know a little bit more reasonable it's not a big ticket item is that something you're buying new you looking used or what do you typically look for when you're maybe stocking up or gearing up or maybe for somebody that's kind of new to the new to the sport i i would say to me the most important um thing that i would probably um you know spend the 
be willing to spend more money on would be a, a good pair of boots and a suit. Um, you know, they can, they can get spendy as well, but there's, there's also a, a large, um, a large assortment of used ones out in the marketplace as well. But you know, like the, the, the suits today, the technology is, is pretty awesome where it's, it's almost like you're wearing you know, your fish house. So that's, that's where I would aim my money first, especially being on a tight budget, get a good pair of them and, you know, go, go from there afterwards. Right. I like your point. If you have a, you know, a good suit, you might not even need to get a shelter. You can pick your days and right. fish. It's a little nicer out without a shelter. And maybe you're just saving that expense as well. I, I think that's a really good point. And in boots, I, I think all of us would agree. There's nothing worse than having cold feet uh, when you're out on the ice. So I would definitely recommend some waterproof boots. I know myself, I like the the knee boot style boots, whether it's the Baffins or the Norfins or, you know, something like that, the muck boots. Um, those would be one of my suggestions just because you never know what you're getting into out on the ice. And there's usually some water around somewhere. Anything else is, you know, maybe looking again back at selling stuff. If you're going to give some advice to somebody that's going to sell something as we're gearing up for maybe getting some new gear, any last piece of advice you'd give somebody if they're selling something or anything you could think of. I, I think if you're if you're selling something and you're not, um, you know, you're not real hard up for money, I would I would say to don't be real greedy on the price. Um, try to make somebody's day and give them a good deal, but at the same time, like you know, you don't want to put yourself in a hard spot either. Yeah, and and if you can if you can donate stuff to um, you know, there's a lot of organizations that are are looking for equipment and stuff. That's that's awesome too. Or or to just a young kid that's uh, trying to, to get into the hobby and, and stuff, give them a break as much as possible. I think that's a great piece of advice. And I know we talked about this before too, but you never know when you're selling something to somebody, when that guy might be your new fishing buddy, you know, might be somebody that you start a connection with or a conversation. And all of a sudden you guys fish the same bodies of water together. Or you have a mutual friend or, you know, somebody that lives in the same town you never know when somebody like that's going to be your next new fishing buddy. And I know we talked a little bit about it, uh, the fishing community. How does that to kind of change your mindset when you're selling something? If, you know, being in Minnesota, like a lot of the ice fishermen are on the page. Um, so if I list something on the marketplace, I've, I've gotten the, Hey, you're Andy from, you know, ice fish, Minnesota. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, well, I'm a member of that page and stuff. And it makes the, the world get real small. You know, and or or even you know, oh, we're friends on Facebook, and I, you know, I don't didn't recognize it. You know, sorry, but uh, yeah, it just it it's weird how small of a of a world that it is, and how small like this industry is, and how tight it is, and everything. It's 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 pretty. It's a special thing. Yeah, no, I would agree. I know both you and I have formed a lot of friendships within the the social media aspect of fishing and, and on the ice and with the different brands and vendors. And it's been really fun just to, to see those, you know, friendships form just through a, a common sport of ice fishing. I know the fish addictions crew, we all got to know one another through social media. Some of us had, you know, some acquaintances outside of that, but you know, even the rest of us on the Eskimo crew, it's been you know, something where we probably got to know each other more on social media than we have in person. And it just continues to grow. And like you said, form lifelong friendships with people that you met online or you met selling a, a fish house or an auger or two. And before you know it, uh, you're heading out on the ice together. Yeah, definitely. Like I, like I was telling you earlier, um, you know, with my pages, I didn't know any of my moderating team before. And when these, these crazy numbers were coming in there, I kind of went into panic mode and, and, uh, you know, was looking for help. I asked a few people that had seemed to really be contributing and, and stuff to the pages in a positive way. If they, if they wanted to go on this ride with me and, uh, you know, I, I have probably, you know, seven or eight people who have been with me from day one. And that's how we've, that's how we met, you know, and that's how we become friends. And, and now, you know, some of them are some of them are the best friends and, uh, it, it's just, it's crazy because it's just kind of over the, the love of the hobby that, uh, you know, the group kind of bought us together. 
that's pretty awesome. That really is. It just, uh, you know, life has a way of, of bringing people together, even if, you know, it's not intentional, the things just happen, right? And for our listeners, Andy, just give us one more rundown of the pages that, that you manage, that you run, because I think you listed off several of them, not just ice fishing, but there's several different pages that you have available, just in case folks want to go out and check them out. Well, the, the, again, the first one that we started was Ice Fishing Minnesota. And uh, then everybody was just like, what are you going to do for summer? We got to have a summer place to hang out. So we created uh, Fishing Minnesota right afterwards. And then it went to Hunting Minnesota. And that's where we said enough. <laughs> yeah, so definitely if you're a listener and you're not part of one of those groups, I would definitely recommend going and checking it out. There's always great posts, uh, whether they're informational, they're you know, current reports, statuses, uh, you know, looking for some help. I know stories, I'm sure, Andy, you could go on and on about stories of a fellow IFMer helping another guy out on the ice or, you know, somebody lost something. I'm sure you could go on for days on all of those stories, but it's really just great to see the community come together. And I think the ice fishermen as a whole is a, is a really good community. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, some of the stuff that's, you know, the page has done from fine. I mean, we've been on the news numerous times for helping um, everything from missing people to missing pets to stolen ice houses. And yeah, it's, it's been awesome. And, and again, it goes back to just how small and tight everything is, but there's been a lot of good done on the pages, which I'm very, very, very proud of. That is great. And again, for all the listeners, if you aren't, Go out, check out those pages. Uh, I know Andy's and his crew, the moderating crew out there, and all the fellow IFMers out there are happy to answer questions. Yeah, I'll give you advice if you're new to the sport. Go hit them up, ask questions, ask away. We're we're always here to help. Kyle and I always more than willing to have that conversation as well. Anybody on the Eskimo crew, I I would vouch for them as well. Feel free to reach out to anybody on our pro staff and and ask questions. We're uh, always looking to get new people into the sport. So Andy. Any final words before we uh, part ways and, and end the podcast? No, I, I think that's about it. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was, it was fun chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. Great conversation. Again, thanks to everybody for listening. If you haven't, go check out a couple of our prior episodes this season. Uh, they dropped the last couple of weeks. We had a couple of great conversations, and it was really fun to to kick off the season. And I know Kyle and I were really looking forward to getting out on the ice. It's Hopefully not too far around the corner. Um, I know Kyle will be down at the St. Paul show. And if you're down there, go hit him up, talk to him, give him some ideas for the Shack Talk podcast so we can continue with the episodes because it's really fun to hear your feedback. And again, Andy, thanks for joining us. For everybody else that's listening, thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll hopefully see you out on the ice.